Thank you so much. I'm so glad we could all join together again. Like I said, uh, uh, we will be looking at communion today. What is the communion meal? What, it's, what it represents? What do you mean by communion? If you look in the, in the Bible, it started as the Passover meal in the Old Testament. The Passover meal. The Hebrews call it the Pesach. Oh, and it, it's a holiday in, in Israel. And all the Jews celebrate it worldwide. Or it's a tradition that commemorates or remembers the liberation from slavery in Egypt. And they're passing over of the forces of destruction. Or it also say uh, when um, the firstborn was, was spared in Egypt. If you, and you can read all, of, all about this in Exodus chapter 12. So I would encourage you to read Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 13. To read, read through the whole scripture, you will see how God ordained this ritual. Exodus chapter 12. And uh, I'll just read a few scriptures here. Exodus chapter 12 verse 11 says, And thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your, sh the sh your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the <clears throat> sorry, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse 15, seven you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Verse 17 says, And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread. For in this self same day have I brought you, brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Look at this. So this is a, an ordinance or a command or a ritual that they do it forever. That's a commandment that God gave the Israelites. Why? To remember what happened in Egypt, their deliverance, their liberation. In a way, it represents salvation. So this is the origin of the communion meal. And what we follow in the New Testament is an obedience to what Jesus commanded in his last Passover meal. God said, you shall eat unleavened bread. So one of the names of this festival in the Jewish tradition is called the festival of the unleavened bread. Why unleavened? Because it symbolizes the sufferings that they went through and the haste in which they came out of Egypt. See, bread takes time to ferment. Leavening means fermenting. So when God told them to do this, God said, do it in a hurry. So they didn't have time for the bread to ferment. They just had to do it, quickly make it, eat it, and come out. So that's why it's called the, the festival of unleavened bread. It represents the quickness 
in which God delivered them, them out of Egypt. So this is just a brief history. All right. So now let's go to the New Testament. Let's read Paul's revelation about this. And this will be our primary scripture. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23 to 30. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Hallelujah. So this is our main portion of scripture. And if you see verse 23, it, it says, For I have received of the Lord, which also I delivered unto you. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, hey, I received this by revelation. Paul said, I was not present with Jesus in the last Passover meal. I was not there. I was not one among the disciples there. So how did he know about it? By revelation. By revelation. He said, I received it. That word means revelation. Received by revelation. Directly from the Lord. Verse 23 from the, uh, from the Passion Translation, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to his disciples and, and said, take it and eat your fill. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. That's verse 23 and 24. So you see, Paul is confessing that, hey, this I received this as a revelation from the Lord. So you will not see any other apostle talking about this in so much detail. So let's look at the New Testament, in, in the, especially the Gospels, the incident. See, Paul was not there. Paul received this by revelation. So now let's see the actual incident that happened during the Passover meal. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for the remission of sins. That was Matthew. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 24. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, 
take eat this is my body and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said to them this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many we'll go to luke luke 22 verse 17 to 20 and he took the cup and gave thanks and said take eat and divide it among yourselves for i say unto you i will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of god shall come and he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you so we see three instances in matthew mark and luke where jesus is describing the incident i mean jesus is telling them to take the bread and the wine what does this mean i know somebody is asking what about john let's look at john so as we read this we're going to see who can partake of this meal john chapter 6 verse 48 onwards jesus is saying i am the bread of life your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead this is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die i am the living bread which came down from heaven if any man eat of this bread he shall live forever and the bread that i give is my is my flesh which i will give for the life of the world then jesus said unto them verily verily i say unto you except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and i in him as the living father has sent me and i live by the father so he that eats me and even he shall live by me this is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead he that eateth of this bread shall live forever look at this this is jesus talking so he said i am the bread of life he is describing himself i am the bread of life and if you observe three times he said this is the bread which came from heaven and if you eat of it you shall not die three times that's in um, verse 50 51 and 58 so this is the bread that came from heaven why did he have to say all these things he said your fathers ate manna what is manna again angelic bread that came down from heaven while the israelites were in the wilderness said they ate that bread but they all died they did not most of them did not even enter the promised land they died they were separated from the promise but now he said i am the bread that came from heaven and if any man eat this bread he shall live forever verse 47 he said he that believes on me has everlasting life john 647 this is a saying he that believes on me has 
everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus? I believe you, you believe in Jesus. I believe you've called upon the name of Jesus. And if you have called upon the name of Jesus, you are born again. That means you already have everlasting life. Keep your finger there. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son has not life. And these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. Verse 11 says, God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his son. Now, does this scripture says he is going to give you eternal life? No, it says he has already given to you eternal life. How? Through his son. Now read verse 13 again. It says, these things I've, I have written to you that believe on the name of the son of God. So to whom is it written? To them that believe on the name of the son of God. Do you believe on the name of the son of God? Yes, that means it is written for you. It is written for you. And why? Why is it written? That you may know you have eternal life. So that means if you have called upon the name of Jesus, if you have believed in the finished work of the cross and confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you already have eternal life. It is yours. It is not something that you are going to get in the future. Many people think eternal life represents something that you're going to have when, once you reach heaven. No, no. Eternal life is something that you already possess right now. Right now, when you're on the earth, the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you receive eternal life. Hallelujah. Your spirit is now sealed with God, joined with God forever. You cannot separate it. Hallelujah. Now, with this understanding, let's go back to John 6. So do you have eternal life? Yes, you have eternal life. Verse 54, it says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So let's look at the scripture the other way. You believed on the name of Jesus. You already have eternal life. So you can say those who have eternal life can eat his flesh and drink his blood. See, the first time you receive it is spiritually. You believe that his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for the remission of your sin. You believed it and you confessed it with your mouth. You ate it spiritually. And you got born again. And now you already have eternal life. And now you who possess eternal life, you qualify to eat this bread and drink this cup continually. Any person who is born again, any person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior qualifies to eat this meal. So now let's look at the next question. How do we take this meal? Why is it that you take it? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup 
when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Imagine. Sorry, Pastor, I'm using you as an example. Pastor Marco is doing a house visit. Now, when the person came to know, hey, pastor is visiting me. They, they want to serve pastor. So what do they do? They go look in their backyard. They catch their best chicken. Kill the chicken. Cook it. Prepare it. And then once pastor comes, they present it before pastor. And now they, they tell pastor, take, eat. This is my chicken made for you. We cooked it for you. Specifically for you. Now, let me ask you a question. This is just a representation. Who is important here? Where is the focus upon? Is it on the chicken? Is it on the person who served the chicken? Or is it on the person for whom the chicken is prepared? Where are the highlights on? This is for you. you. Who is special here? Who is considered special here? The person for whom the meal was prepared. Yes or no? Pastor Marco is the guest. So the focus, everybody is looking on pastor. Now let's consider this in, about this meal. Jesus said, eat. This is my body broken for you. You. Imagine Jesus standing before you with a plate in his hand said, eat. This is my body broken for you. He's standing before you and telling you, come, please take. Take this is for you. My body was broken for you. So now my question, who is important? Where are the spotlights of heaven focused upon? On whom? On you. Why did Jesus have to break his body and shed his blood? For you. The whole highlight of this meal is you. Traditionally, people think, oh, it's about God. I take this, I'm pleasing God. Many people only appear in churches on communion Sunday. It's when people follow different traditions, some places they have it once a week, some places they have it once a month, either the first Sunday, second Sunday, or the last Sunday of the month. So some people, some members, they appear only on communion Sunday. Why? Because for them, it's an obligation that they do to please God. But hey, hey, scripture says it is for you. You are not doing this to get plus points with God. You are doing it for yourself. Jesus said, this is for you, for you. We love you so much. I love you so much. I'm breaking this for you, for your benefit, for you. I'm so pleased with you. God so loved the world. That's what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see this? The purpose of this meal is your benefit. You are not doing this to please God. You are not doing this to get plus points with God. You are doing this for yourself. Yourself. 
the whole focus of heaven, the whole focus of heaven is on you. Jesus died for you. So what are you doing? You're doing this to remember. Remember. Why remember? Why? Remember we studied spirit, soul, and body. The real you is a spirit. Which part of you is born again? Your spirit is born again. Hallelujah. You have a soul and you live in a body. So your soul is your mind, your intellect, your will, your emotion. What does the soul do? The soul controls every action of your body. Hallelujah. Your body is controlled by your soul, your mind. So the act of remembrance, which part does that? Your mind, the soul. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance. Why? You're remembering what Jesus has accomplished for you. You're remembering what the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for you. You bring it to your mind. You bring it. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit has already received the benefits. Second Peter 1 says, according as his divine power has already given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that you need pertaining to this natural life, physical life and spiritual life is already given by the finished work on the cross. But for you to see it physically, for those things to manifest in your life, you need to remember. You need to set your affection, your concentration, your mind on those things. As you remember, you're opening yourself to receive those benefits in the natural. So your body will obey. Your mind is focused on the finish work. Your mind is focused on what Jesus has accomplished. So now you're preparing yourself to receive it. That's why he said, hey, this is broken for you, for your benefit, your benefit. So you will walk in the fullness of what I have done for you. See, now the whole focus of communion is changed. Heaven is looking down upon you. Everything that Jesus did was because of his love for you. So if you don't enjoy the benefit, is heaven please? No. Imagine a parent. As a parent, I will do everything for my child. Now, for my child to enjoy the benefits that I provide him, does he have to fear and come? Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy, I'm coming to take this. You brought this bread for me. Oh, you brought this cycle for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No. They come boldly. And when I see my children enjoy the benefits, it brings happiness. It brings joy to me. Similarly, heaven paid the greatest price for you. And heaven wants you to enjoy that benefit. And how do you please God the Father? When you partake of it, when you remember, hey, they did this for me. My daddy did this for me. Jesus died for me. So I, when I enjoy the benefit, it pleases me. It brings joy to his heart. So you need to approach it from with this perspective. Know that heaven is looking down at you. Heaven is expecting you 
to enjoy the fullness of what Jesus paid for. Imagine Jesus standing before you saying, take my son, my daughter, take it. This is for you. This is for you. You have it. You have it. I died for you. You are so special. You need to take this. You need to enjoy this. And that brings joy to my heart. Every time I approach communion, I imagine Jesus standing before me saying, take it, my son. So I take it joyfully. I take it in expectation. Hallelujah. The more you remember it, you start expecting it. And it will show up in your life. So what are the benefits of the broken body and the shed blood? What did Jesus accomplish by offering his body and by shedding his blood? Let's look at it. Let's look at the broken body first. All right. Let's go through the sequence. How was his body offered for us? The whole crucifixion scene, just from the garden till crucifixion. Let's see that. Number one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. We'll read from verse 51 to 53. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword and striking the body servant, the, uh, striking the body servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you suppose that I cannot appeal to my father and he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? This is in the garden where they've come to arrest Jesus. And then Peter, as soon as he saw, he took out his sword and intending to chop off the head of the servant, the high priest servant, he swung his sword and it, and it just got his ears. It cut his ears off. See, first of all, nobody swings a sword at somebody intending to only cut his ears. I'm sure Peter wanted to chop his head off. Right? So apart from that, look at this. What did Jesus say? He said, verse 53, Do you suppose that I cannot appeal to my father and he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. All his physical suffering started from the moment they arrested him. And just before that, what happened? He said, I can request my daddy, my father, and he will send me 12 legions. That's a lot. It's approximately 80,000 angels. One back and my daddy will send me 80,000 angels. Just one call. And what can an angel do? What are angels? In Hebrews 1.14, it says, they are ministering spirits sent out in service of God for the assistance of those who inherit salvation. They're servants. We know Psalms 91 says, they bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And they are the ones that obey God's word. Psalms 103 it says, his angels, verse 20, bless the Lord, you his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Your ministers that do his pleasure. Whatever God wants, they do. They are strong. They are powerful. Jesus said he could call 
and God could send him 12 legions of angels. 12 legions. At one second, what can one angel do? He can smite a lot. The one angel was more than enough to destroy that whole army. And he said at least 80,000 will come on one call. And throughout the Gospels, we see angels ministering to Jesus. And Bible says, Psalms 34 verse 7, the, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and deliver him. Why is all these things? Why didn't he call upon angels? He kept silent. Why? So today, you and me can enjoy the benefits of angelic protection. That's one of the benefits of the broken body. He offered his body to be captured. He did not call upon angels to protect him. He willingly offered the body. He willingly allowed them to capture him. He willingly allowed them to capture him so his body could be offered. So he kept quiet. Why? So today we can enjoy the benefits of angelic protection. They encamp around about us. Those who fear God. They are there. They are servants. They are ministering spirits. We can enjoy it today. That's one of the benefits of the communion. The broken body. You remember, Lord, you kept quiet. You could have received 80,000 angels coming there, protecting you, but you kept quiet. You willingly offered your body. So today, I enjoy the benefits of angels ministering to me. I receive it. The ministering spirit sent forth to minister to me. Angels working for me. They're encamping around about me. I'm preserved and protected. They'll bear me up in their hands, lest my foot dash against a stone. I'm protected. No evil shall befall me. In Jesus' name. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two. Healing. Healing. Go with me to Isaiah 53. Verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This is the famous quote in the book of Isaiah. Most of us quote these things. But what does it mean? In verse 4 it says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I read this from the Amplified. Verse 4 says, says, Surely he has borne our griefs, which is sickness, weakness, distresses, or diseases. Right? And carried our sorrows, which means pains. Pains. The word grief represents sickness, diseases, weaknesses, distresses. The word sorrow represents pain, natural and spiritual pain. Said He bore our sicknesses, our diseases, our weaknesses, and carried our pain. For whom? You. Whose sickness? 
your sickness. Why? So we don't have to carry it anymore. He bore it. And the same thing is quoted in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8. Again, I'll read from the Amplified. Matthew 8 verse 17 says, And thus he fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our weakness and infirmities and bore away our diseases. If Jesus carried it for you, you don't have to carry it. If he bore your sickness, you don't have to bear any sickness. If he carried your pain, you don't have to carry pain anymore. Hallelujah. So Peter, looking back at what was happened, said in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he said, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It says you were healed. Isaiah was prophesying, looking forward to what was about to happen on the cross. He said, he is go he's going to carry your sickness, your pain. By his stripes, you are healed. Isaiah was prophesying. Jesus came. He fulfilled it in Matthew 8. And now Peter is looking back at the cross, saying, hey, it is done. By his stripes, you were healed. Already it's past perfect tense. That means it's completed. His body was broken for you. Isaiah says he did not even look like a man anymore. This is Isaiah 52. His body was so marred, he took the curse upon himself. The curse of the law. Everything that the curse of the law represents, it came upon him. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it talks about the curse of the law from verse 15 onwards. Oh, that just gives you a headache when you read it. There's so much written there. Every kind of sickness, disease, curse, affliction is written there. And he took that curse upon him. He became the curse. So we don't have to go through it. Sickness and disease is a curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse himself. So he became that curse. So we don't have to suffer those curses. We don't have to go through those diseases, sicknesses, mental problems, afflictions. No, we don't have to. That's the second benefit of communion, the broken body. First, angelic protection. Second, healing. So every time you take this meal, expect healing. Expect health, healing, and wholeness. See, we saw when we studied spirit, soul, and body, your body now becomes a house, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now comes and dwells inside you. And what does he do? Romans 8, 11 says he gives life to your body. Life. Life. We saw in 1 John that we already possess eternal life. You possess eternal life. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. And what is he going to do? Give life to your body. So as you take this meal, remember, Lord, you bore my sickness. 
You carried my pain. And because of your broken body, I'm born again. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside me. So I receive life. I was healed by your stripes. I receive life. So I speak life to every cell, tissue, muscle, fiber, every organ in my body. I speak life. Life. The life that Jesus gave is for me. I have eternal life. So every organ in my body, my skin, my teeth, my bone, my joints, the bone marrow, my blood, everything is full of, full of life. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside me and he is giving life to my body. See, that's a benefit. Benefit of communion. That's number two. So you need to remember this. See, this is remembrance. Jesus said, what? Do this in remembrance of me. The third benefit, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, I'll read from the Amplified, says, For you are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and spiritual blessing, in that though he was so very rich, yet for your sakes he became so very poor, in order that by his poverty, you might become enriched, rich. King James says, by his poverty, you are made rich. See, when it came to healing, what did we say? By his stripes, you were healed. So here it says, by his poverty, you're made rich. What does it mean? Jesus was made poor. He was made poor. People say, oh, Jesus was poor. When he was on the earth, he was poor. Well, which poor man has a treasurer with him who manages his accounts? My brother, my sister, don't be mistaken. Jesus was rich. He constantly gave to the poor. Judas constantly stole from the accounts. And it was a ritual for them to give to the poor. Jesus, the clothes that he wore, they were so royal that when he was being crucified, the Roman soldiers put an auction on him. They cast lots. Who's going to get that robe? Do you know any poor man whose clothes were so valuable that people uh, put it for auction? No, nobody. Nobody. He looked like royalty. He walked royally because he was the king of kings and lord of lords. His clothes represented who he was. Hallelujah. He was rich. He said, people say, oh, but he rode on a donkey. Yes, he rode on a donkey. That was the uh, mode of uh, transportation then. But my brother, my sister, he rode on a brand new donkey. He rode on a donkey that nobody sat before. So prosperity is part of what he accomplished for us by his broken body. He became poor. He was stripped naked. His clothes were removed. Naked. Sometimes when you see pictures or images of the cross, you see Jesus there with a loin cloth covering his genitals. But that is not true. The Roman soldiers, they strip a person naked, absolutely naked, to humiliate them to the uttermost. He looked like a pauper. Look, everything that he had, earthly things that he had, was taken away. He became poor. Why? 
by his poverty we are made rich we are rich what are the benefits of being rich you have money on demand you have riches on demand that's why scripture says he has given us access to the riches in glory philippians 4:19 says now my god will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in christ jesus as a child of god you have access to heaven's treasury you have access to the riches in glory because he became poor for you so every time you take communion remember this lord you became poor for me though you were rich for my sakes you became poor by your poverty i am made rich so i expect my needs to be met my god supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory by christ jesus i have access lord so i declare complete debt cancellation every need met i am out of debt my needs are met i have plenty more to put in store i will leave an inheritance for my children's children in deuteronomy 8:18 says god has given us the power to get wealth why so he can establish his covenant the new covenant was established by the broken body and shed blood of jesus hallelujah so that means the power to get wealth is your expect needs to be met no matter how big it looks how monstrous that need is how impossible it looks expect needs to be met and we have so many testimonies so many testimonies of people who took communion the right way and they came out of death cancers were healed all kinds of sicknesses diseases were healed I'll share the testimony of a couple in our church. They were believing for a child, and after some time, the lady got pregnant. And during pregnancy, uh, in one of the scans, the doctor said, "Well, the baby has an abnormality, and you need to abort the baby." So they decided, "Hey, this baby is a gift from God. We are going to take communion. We believe in God that the baby will be preserved." Scripture says. the hand of the lord covers the baby in the womb and they remembered those scripture and they took communion over it, said our baby is preserved jesus you paid whatever it is that our baby might be going through in the womb you paid for it they remembered what jesus paid they took communion over it every day sometimes you know women when they thoughts come they get emotionally disturbed the husband and wife would join together and take communion multiple times a day and the result was the baby was born absolutely normal the doctors warned them multiple times hey you got to be careful you got to be careful you're going to have a deformed child or a child with a lot of disabilities or deformities and you're going to suffer or the child may not live but they took communion and that baby is alive well perfect my sister who is there right there on the call they diagnosed my sister's baby with a deformity in the heart and the lungs but we were there we took communion well that baby she is the most hyper in the lord or oh, you, you i'll tell you you see the video she is the she she is hyper she is normal absolutely normal heal 
testimonies of taking communion, testimonies of remembering what the broken body has done for you. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Prosperity. That's so. Number one, angelic protection. Number two, healing. Number three, prosperity. Number four, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with it. Verse 19, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration of favor. See this, it says, God was personally present in Christ, reconciling. King James says reconciling. The meaning of the word reconciling is restored to favor. Restoration to favor. Because of what Adam did, Adam's sin, man was separated from God. Man was God's favorite, the most prized possession of God's creation. And But because of Adam's sin, man was separated from God. But because of what Jesus did in Christ, the Bible says we are restored to favor. Reconcile means restored to favor. That means you are back to being the favorite of God. So if you are restored to favor with God, now you can expect favor everywhere. That's the fourth benefit. Favor. Favor. Because of the finished work of the cross. Because his body was broken for you. You, my brother, my sister, you are restored to favor with God. So you need to start expecting favor. Everywhere you go, expect favor. The favor of God. Open doors for you. Ungodly people. People in the government offices show favor towards you. They will say, ah, we don't know why, but we just want to do this for you. I have thousands of testimonies of the favor of God. People come to me and say, well, we don't usually do this, but we don't know why, but we are doing this for you. Government officials. Many times in my workplace, when I was working in the IT industry, my managers would come. I worked in a 24 bar 7 process where you're supposed to be available at their beck and call. But I went boldly to the HR and said, hey, I'm a Christian. I have church on Sunday. We have outreaches on Saturday. I will not work on Saturday and Sunday. No matter what you are willing to pay me, I will not work on Saturday and Sunday. I'm the first person to whom they said, well, you do what you like. You've never allowed this for anybody, but you do what you like. In a 24 bar seven, I worked for, for 13 years, three years in Dell, 10 years in HP, in a 24 bar seven process, working in the forefront of technology, where you're, you're, you're demanded anytime they want. I said, no. They said, well, you just do what, what you like. The favor of God. I was promoted multiple times, even though I never qualified for it. Well, uh, we know you lack in these areas, but it's okay. We want you in the team. 
And they selected hundreds of testimonies of people who believed in the favor of God and got it. My brother, well, he was not born again at this time. When he applied for his visa as a student, uh, for a student visa to go to the U.S., his interview, I told him, hey, I know you don't believe this, but Psalms chapter 5 verse, verse 12 says, for surely the Lord will bless the righteous. His, he surrounds him with favor as a shield. This is God's word. So if you believe this, expect favor. So he, he just confessed it. He just believed. He started speaking the favor of God. He went, he said, everybody else was rejected. People in front of me on my side in the embassy, they were rejected. Their visas were rejected, but I got favor. And he got his visa multiple times. Finally, till he got his citizenship years later, every time he had to renew his visa, he declared this. He knew this works. When I went for my uh, interview for the visa, U.S. Embassy, when I was standing there, they were being, people were being mentally tortured there, saying, uh, asking different questions. Uh, why do you want to go? What's the purpose? They asked so many documents. But for me, my interview was about five seconds. I was declaring the favor of God. The person looked at me. I mean, he just declined a visa for the person right in front of me. He looked at me and said, hmm, what's your purpose of visit? I said, I'm going for my niece's baptism. What visa does your sister have? He said, she's got a green card. All right, thank you. I mean, barely five minutes. He took my passport and then he said, it's done. So I was confused. I said, what just happened? I walked out and I asked the security, what, 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 what am I supposed to do next? He, he, he asked me, did he take your passport in? I said, yes. So congratulations, sir, you got your visa. Wow, that was quick. The favor of God. Expect the favor of God. Wherever you go, people, even in their dream, they should have favorable thoughts about you. I declare this every day. Every thought about me is a thought of favor. People will come and they want to bless me. Even ungodly people, when they look at me, they will show favor. When they read my name anywhere, it will be a favorable thought. Why? Because of what Jesus has accomplished. The favor of God. That's benefit number four. So start declaring these things. Psalms 5 verse 11 and 12. Psalms 84 verse 11 says, The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So expect favor. Next benefit, the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God. Christ, let me, let me reiterate this. Christ is not the family name of Jesus. Christ means the anointed one with the anointing. When you say Jesus Christ, you are not saying Jesus and his father's name. No. Christ means the anointed one with the anointing. Jesus, the anointed one with the anointing. And every time you see the word Christ in the Bible, remember that is talking about who Jesus is in the spirit. All right. In the spirit, he was the anointed one with the anointing. If you see the word just Jesus mentioned without Christ, most of the time it is talking about what he did as a man instead of us physically. So here it says Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, 
he did, did it as a man, but as Christ. He was the one anointed and appointed of God to die for our sins. And him dying on the cross is the wisdom of God. The world did not understand. That's why people, many people think, ha, huh, the cross, Christianity, that's just a myth. It's just a story. It's a fairy tale. But this is the wisdom of God. The power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, But of him are you. Now look at that. Who is it representing? You. You in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ was the wisdom of God. And now for whom is that wisdom for? For you. See, when Jesus, when, when Jesus was on the earth, people were amazed at his wisdom. They looked at him naturally. When, if you go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, it says, When he came into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? See, the people in his, in his neighborhood, in his, in, in his city, in his um, village, they looked at him from the natural perspective. Said, hey, we know him. We saw him in his undies. We know his mom. We know his dad. Where does he get all this wisdom from? They were looking at him in the natural. Even in the natural, Jesus showed wisdom. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 says, Jesus grew in wisdom. The child grew, waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom. Verse 52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. See, in the natural, Jesus had to grow up in wisdom. He had to identify himself in the scripture. So he was growing step by step, step by step. But in the spirit, based on what he accomplished for us on the cross, he fulfilled the wisdom of God. It was the wisdom of God that sent Jesus to die for us, to be our substitute. Instead of us going to hell, suffering the consequence of sin, one man, to one man, sin was removed forever. By the obedience of one man, scripture says in the book of Romans, we are reconciled to God. That's the wisdom of God. Especially in these last days. In these last days. Luke chapter 21 verse 15 says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. He was talking about our time as believers when we live on the earth. We can receive wisdom. The true identity of a disciple of Christ is by the display of wisdom. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when they were looking out for, for deacons, people to serve tables, said, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The true identity of a disciple who is beneficial for the body of Christ is the wisdom of God. Then as you see, as you continue reading, you see they, they
they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And as you continue, you see what Stephen accomplished. Science, wonders, miracle. And he became the first martyr. And if you see in verse 10, talking about Stephen, says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Oh, the people. He went and preached to the, to, to, to the Libertines, the Syrians and the Alexandrians. And that's what verse 9 says. He spoke to them of Cilicia and Asia, and they were astonished at his wisdom. So the true identity of a disciple of Christ is the wisdom of God. You can expect wisdom. Expect wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 says, He has abounded towards us in wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make the right choice. To know what to say. That's why in the, in the prayer in Colossians, you pray. Colossians chapter 4. Let's look at that. Colossians chapter 4. It's a prayer that you must pray before you preach the gospel to anyone. Verse 4, Colossians 4, 4. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walking in wisdom towards them that are without redeeming the time. Talking about sharing the gospel, how you share the gospel, how you become a testimony of Christ. You walk in wisdom. How do you walk in this wisdom? How do you show this? By believing. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says, To the intent now that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God. All the principalities, demonic forces, they will see the wisdom of God operating through the church. Through the church. Verse 11 says, According to the eternal purpose which, which he purposed in Christ our Lord. The eternal purpose of God for us is to manifest the wisdom of God. The apostles preached and taught this wisdom. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, he says, We preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. They taught by the wisdom. Your life should be a display of the wisdom of God. A display of the wisdom of God. That's why in the book of James chapter 1, Verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He will give liberally and upbraid it not. And it shall be given to him. So if you need wisdom, first of all, know that Christ has become wisdom. The gospel of your salvation is the wisdom of God. And you are in Christ. He placed you in wisdom. So you have access to the greatest wisdom ever. In all creation, all the universe, you have access to the wisdom, the wisdom of God. You are placed in the wisdom of God. So expect that wisdom to flow. Whatever wisdom you need, that one word of wisdom from God can solve your problem. You may need wisdom in finances, wisdom in relationship, wisdom in handling children, wisdom in your business, wisdom in ministry, wisdom. Expect the wisdom. Father, I receive wisdom. Christ has become for me wisdom. His broken body has become wisdom for me. That was the wisdom of God displayed on the cross. I remember, Lord. So I received wisdom for my situation. Wisdom in handling my congregation in church. Wisdom in handling people working under me. Wisdom in handling authority. Give me the right words to speak. Thank you, Lord. That's wisdom. That's benefit number five. There are so many other benefits. At least these five you remember. 
you will see a dramatic change in your life. Now let's look at what the blood of Jesus did. We saw the broken body, blood. Number one, you need to, you know, that the blood of Jesus paid the price. He purchased us with his blood. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flocks over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. His blood was the price for your sin. In Romans chapter 3 verse 25, it says, God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. The blood of Jesus has declared us righteous. The blood of Jesus has declared us righteous. It paid the price, purchased us from the grips of sin, paid the price, declared us righteous. Righteous means, like we saw last week, righteous means right with God, in right standing with God. With respect to God, you are right with him now. Why? Because the blood of Jesus paid the price. You are right with him. You can look at God face to face. Fellowship with God. You are seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might and dominion, every name that can be. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. You are declared righteous. It means you are justified. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, you are justified by his blood. Justified means just as if you have done nothing wrong. Blessed. That's the next one. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, this is the cup of blessing which we bless. Cup of blessing. Blood, it's a cup of blessing. Ephesians 1, 3 says, you are blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. Every blessing that heaven has you're already blessed. So as you take this blood, you remember, Lord, I'm blessed. This is a cup of blessing. So I expect the blessings to show up. I'm already blessed with every blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And I expect that to show up right now as I take this meal, as I partake of this blood. Thank you, Lord. I'm blessed. I expect the blessing to show up. Ephesians 2.13 says, you are brought nigh to God by the blood. You are brought close to God. The throne room is opened up for you. Hebrews 4.16 says, come boldly to the throne of grace so you may obtain mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. How? How can you go boldly? Because of the blood. The blood. You receive the forgiveness of sin. The sin that separated you from God is dealt with by the blood. Ephesians 1 7 says, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 14 also says, You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. So you can, you have bold access to the throne. Run bold. Take it. And finally, this is the best thing that I like the most. It says, The blood speaks better things for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel declares vengeance, 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 judgment, judgment. Abel was righteous and killed him. So the blood of Abel says, 
judgment, judgment, curse upon him. But the blood of Jesus said, it says, it speaks better things for you, better things. So as you take this meal, expect your situation to become better. So you take this, Lord, the blood is speaking better things for me. I expect my situation to become better. Everything in my life to become better. The blood is speaking better things for me. I agree with it. I agree with the better things the blood is speaking for me. So expect better things. Expect it. Hallelujah. These are a few of the things that you need to remember. What I'm doing is encouraging you to remember, helping you to identify what the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for you. There's one more thing you remember. What is Jesus doing today? Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1.19 says, God raised him and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And what is he doing there? Romans 8.34 says, at the right hand of God, he, he makes intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The whole purpose of him sitting there is to make intercession for us. Right now, you remember, Lord Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for me, speaking on my behalf. You're speaking on my behalf. I remember, Lord, that's your present day ministry. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me. And what is the result of all these things? What is the result? You remember all these things. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. What do you mean by you do show the Lord's death? I'll read that in um, the Passion Translation, verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. You do show the Lord's death. What do you mean by that? You are showing your circumstance. You are showing your problem. You are showing that bank loan situation. You are showing that health situation, what the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for you. When you take this, you loan problem, you financial deficit, you health problem, kidney problem, you back problem. I remember what the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for me. And I'm showing you what it has accomplished for me. I'm healed. I'm delivered. My God supplies my need. You're taking it. You're showing that problem. What the Lord's death has accomplished for you. You're showing it. As often as you eat and drink, you're showing. So if you have, uh, if that problem has been nagging you, take it. Take the communion. Show it. Hey, problem. Look at this. I'm showing you what the Lord's death has accomplished for me. I'm taking this. I'm remembering this. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 27 and 28. This is, one place where there's a lot of confusion. It says, Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now the question is, what does it mean by eating and drinking unworthily? 
The Passion Translation says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body. Let every individual first evaluate his own attitude. Many people think, oh, if you've committed a sin, you're unworthy. Let me ask you a question. Did the blood pay the price for sin? Even before you were born, 2,000 years before you were born, Jesus paid the price for your sin. Sin is dealt with completely. He is not standing there reminding you of every sin. No. In case if you have sinned, if you know you did something wrong, first of all, know Jesus paid the price for it. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse. If there is something that you think is hindering you in your mind, confess it. 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So if that is hindering you in your mind, confess it. It's over with. But that is not what he's talking about here. Unworthily means, you've seen many times people just come. Okay, it's communion Sunday. Just come. I took the meal. I ate it. I drank it. Pastor is happy. My family is happy. God is happy. You're doing it for somebody else's sake. You're doing it to please somebody. Or you're doing it just because it's a ritual. It's something that is expected of you. Your family expects you to attend church on at least on communion Sunday. Your pastor expects to see your face. So you just come and do the action. Wrong attitude. You're doing it with the wrong spirit. When you take the meal like that, you're doing it unworthily. Unworthily. You're, deal you're approaching this meal with the wrong spirit or wrong attitude. That's why it says, let every man examine himself. See, it's not talking about you examining your sins. See, G the, Jesus paid the price for your sin. Sin is dealt with. If you think there is something that is hindering you, hindering your conscience, confess it. It's over. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. So what is it asking you to examine? Examine your attitude. What are you thinking? Are you remembering? Are you coming in faith? Are you taking this meal in faith? Romans 14, 23 says, whatever. Again, it's talking about the meal, about a meal here. It says he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. If you're not taking this meal in faith, expecting the deliverance of God, expecting everything that the broken body and shed blood has accomplished to show up. If you're not expecting it, if you're not in faith, then you are taking it unworthily. That's what you need to examine. Examine yourself, Lord, am I just simply doing it as a tradition? Am I doing this just to please someone? Or am I doing this in remembrance of what you did for me? What the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for me? Lord, have mercy on me. I do this in faith. I expect everything the broken body and shed blood accomplished to show up in my life. This is faith. When you take it with that attitude of faith, you are taking it in a worthy manner. So when you remember, 
you're letting scripture build the picture. And the picture that you see is what you eat, what you receive. Verse 29 and 30 says, He that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. You're taking it in an unworthy manner. Unworthily. That means you just take it casually. Ah, Jesus did. Everybody's taking I'll just take it. I'll finish this off. That means you are considering what Jesus did of low esteem. Whatever Jesus accomplished on the cross, you're giving it low value. So if you consider it of low value, if you consider his death, burial, resurrection, his broken body and his blood of low value, what will you receive in your life? That's why when you don't value the life, what is happening to you? Death. It says they, many sleep, many die. The Passion Translation says many are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. So that means if you look at the other side, the flip side, if you take it worthily, you will not be weak, you will not be chronically ill, and you will not die. Uh-huh. See that? You take it with the right attitude. If you think that, hey, this problem has been nagging me for a long time. This migraine has been nagging me for some time. This back pain has been there for a long time. This shoulder pain, oh, it's been there. Check yourself. Just repent, Lord, I'm sorry for the times I neglected this. I remember what your broken body has accomplished for me by your stripes and healing. I take this in faith. As I take this, I expect, Lord, in Jesus' name. Take it with that attitude. And you, can, you will not be weak. You will not be chronically ill. You will not die. Especially at this moment where many people are forced to take the vaccination. You read all kinds of reports. People, they've taken the vaccination. Many, many have, I mean, the reports, I, I, I get WhatsApp messages saying after taking uh, the vaccination, they became seriously ill. Many died. Hello. The scripture for it. Mark 16. If you eat any deadly things, it shall by no means harm you. If they force you to, to take it, well, know it that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, giving life to your body. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. The greater, the one who is inside me is greater than the vaccination. The one who is inside me is greater than Corona. So if they force it upon me, well, the spirit of God inside me is greater. Every negative effect of the vaccination is canceled in Jesus' name. You drink any deadly things, it shall by no means harm you. That is scripture. People have asked me, what should I do? We are forced to take vaccination. Well, there is an answer for everything in scripture. He paid the price. Didn't Jesus know that you will be here at this time on the earth? If you have to travel now, they're coming out with the Corona passport. It's coming. You cannot travel anywhere domestically and internationally without that. So what are you going to do? Are you going to say this is the mark of the mark of the devil, the mark of the Antichrist, and I'm not going to take it? If they force it upon you, you better believe God. You better know that Jesus paid the price. You better know greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Well, this may sound controversial, but the gospel is always good news. Jesus paid the price. If you're forced to take it, don't be afraid that you lose your salvation. No, 
He paid the price. He saved you to the uttermost, scripture says. So the next question is, how, how often should we eat this meal? People have different traditions. Some people, if I ask you, how often should you take communion? You say, one, the first Sunday of, of, of the month or the last Sunday of the month. We begin the first Sunday of this month with communion. Let's see what scripture says. Verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Do you see the word as often? Passion translation says whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. As often means as many times as required. Nowhere in the scripture you will find it saying you take it the first month, once every month. No, it says as many times as required. In fact, if you look at the tradition of the first church in the book of Acts, you go to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in baking, in breaking bread and in prayers. They continued how? Steadfastly. That means continuously. Focused on it. Verse 46 says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and eat the meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Look at that. Daily. Daily. And house to house. That means they gathered in, in, in the morning. They gathered in one house. They fellowship with each other. They took communion. The afternoon, they went to another house, fellowship with each other, studied the doctrine, and then they took, uh, took communion. Evening, they communed in another house. Daily, house to house, as often as you remember. So this is not something that you restrict to once a month. No, it's an act of remembrance. See, the world is putting things in your mind. The world system tries to remind you how weak you are, how sick you are, how broke you are. The world system, they always remind you. Even without you trying, they put things at you. They say, oh, you're weak. You yield to temptation. But what do you do? As often. Every time those negative thoughts come, you take communion. Remember it, Lord. I remember. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm a child of God. Jesus paid the price. His body was broken for me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I take this meal in faith. I'm healed by his stripes. I'm rich. It doesn't matter what the bank account, bank statement says. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report says. By his stripes, I was healed. Jesus paid the price. It's mine. As often, if it requires you, take it multiple times a day. As often, as many times as is needed. Hallelujah. Those thoughts come and pester you continually. That's what I used to do. When I had an accident in 2014, I had an accident, a bike accident. A car ran over me. My shoulders were fractured and dislocated. It was just hanging. They did surgery on me. They put uh, bowls and springs on both the shoulders. And the doctor, the chief orthopedic surgeon told me it will take me at least three years to get full mobility. Said it was bad. There is no muscle structure holding your bones together. It's been cut off. So, well, either I believe that report or I believe the report of the Lord. I read my scriptures, healing scriptures. I remember, Lord, you paid 
you paid the price for me. By your stripes, I was healed. I declare my shoulders are healed. I took communion daily, multiple times. I couldn't sleep. My hands were wrapped up together. It was painful. I couldn't lie down, so I had to sit on a, on, on a couch. But I could look at scripture. I could remember. Now I'll take communion. Communion. Every time it bothered me, I would take communion. I said, Lord, I'm healed. My stripes, I'm healed. I declare. Brand new skin. I did not have skin. My bones could be seen. Skin and flesh was ripped off. But today, there's absolutely no mark. Completely healed. And in three months, doctor said three years, three months, I was back in the gym, lifting heavy weights. Completely healed. I received full, full mobility. Completely recovered. Communion. Communion. As often as is required. I would take it multiple times a day. Every time those thoughts bothered me, I would take it. I came out of debt that way. I had some serious debt. I would take communion every time those thoughts come. I would wake up in the middle of the night. Those thoughts would bother me. Oh, how are you going to pay this? How are you going to pay this? They're going to come after you. I would get up, take communion. Say, Lord, you paid the price. By your poverty, I'm made rich. You supply all my needs. Mine, I'm out of debt. Every need met. Supernatural debt cancellation. Many people have a lot of questions. Say, brother, is it necessary to be baptized before you take this meal? Many churches do not allow you to take uh, the communion meal unless you take baptism. See, baptism is an outward expression of what happened on the inside. The waters represent the grave. When you go down, it rep you're, you're, showing, you're, you're showing outside, hey, the old man that I was died with Christ, was crucified on the cross with Christ, in Christ. And when you come up out of the water, that represents you being raised up with Christ as a brand new creation, the righteousness of God. You are showing on the outside what happened on the inside. And Jesus said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So baptism is a, is a change in identity. When you take water baptism, you are declaring to the world outside what happened on the inside. You're declaring them, hey, I've decided to be a follower of Jesus. I've decided to be a disciple of Jesus. So it's, it's another teaching. We will cover it in the foundational doctrines as we continue. In Bangalore, I'll tell you the situation here. Not all churches have baptism tanks. We do have a few lakes here, but those lakes are very dirty. Just by entering there, you become sick. A regular person will become sick. To take baptisms, we need to book special swimming pools or special areas. And the moment here, the situation is you tell them this is to do baptism, most hotels or other places, they will not give you permission. So there are certain places within the city where you book the pool and you take baptism. You conduct the baptism services. And that happens once in six months or once a year because there's so much of rush. People book, most of the churches, they book that place. So you're telling me that a born again person has to wait for six months for him to remember what the broken body and shed blood has done for him. If your church, church is insisting that without taking baptism, that person cannot take communion meal or partake of this meal, the Lord's Supper, you're actually telling that person, unless you take baptism, 
you cannot remember what the Lord's body, broken body and shed blood has accomplished for you. Communion is remembrance. Yes, in the first church, anybody who got born again, Bible says the Lord added to the church daily. They went and baptized. But if you look at it, most of the disciples, they were not baptized when they took the Passover meal with Jesus. They were not baptized in Jesus' name. Yes, they might have taken John's baptism, but they were not baptized in Jesus' name when they took the Passover meal. Just a thought for you. The baptism in Jesus' name happened after his death, burial, and resurrection. Communion is different. It's an act of remembrance where you bring things to your mind. And you have the right to remember it as often as you can. 1 Corinthians 11 does not say only those who are baptized. It is talking to the church. Anybody who is born again. In fact, Paul calls them babies. You're babies in Christ. I cannot speak to you as spiritual. You are babies in Christ. You are carnal. He's talking to carnal Christians. Yes, it is important. Is baptism important? Very important. It's the first step in being a disciple. It's obeying the command of Jesus. Very important. I'm not, I'm not putting down baptism by any means. I teach on it. I've taken baptism. We give baptism. I'm specifically talking about communion. From the second a person is born again, from the second a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they qualify for communion. They have everlasting life. They can eat and drink. Hallelujah. Another thing people ask, can children take this meal? That's another question. Can children take this meal, communion meal? Well, if you look at Exodus chapter 12, there was a command that every man in the house should eat. Chapter 12, verse 47 says, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. The whole family gathered together. It's, it was a family meal. They took it as a family, children included. In chapter 13, he's giving instruction. You shall tell your son in that day. When? When you're taking the Passover meal. You are telling your son, your child. Why? Because the child is partaking of it. It's for your children. It's a good time to remind the children. We take communion every day. Before we take communion, I call my children in. I ask them questions. I ask them, what are we doing now? They reply back, remembering what the, broke, the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. I ask them, what did the broken body do for you? They say, healed, rich, protected, favored, blessed. What did the blood do for you? Clean our sins, declare us righteous. See, I'm bringing it to their remembrance, forcing them to think. Yeah, they get distracted. They look around here and there. But then by asking questions, you're bringing things into their memory, making them remember. And then we partake of it. I tell them, what did Jesus give you? The life of God. Where is that life now? In us. And how do you release it? By speaking. What do you say? I release the life of God. I ask them where? Everywhere we go, everything we do, everyone around us, everything around us, and upon ourselves, upon our bodies, they release life. See? By remembering. And they do it. And we partake of the meal as a family. Children inclusive. Hallelujah. I can go on like this. There's a lot more I can say. So as you take this meal, expect. Take this meal in expectation. When they took the meal, 
See, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, when they took the Passover meal, it says, they, you sh and thus you shall eat it, your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, the staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they took the meal, expecting to come out of Egypt immediately, in a hurry. That means as soon as they took it, they expected deliverance. So when you take this meal, expect the deliverance, expect the answers immediately. Faith, expectation. Examine yourself. Am I simply doing it or am I expecting my answers? Expect your answers immediately. I believe you received this. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you. Thank you for the broken body and shed blood of your son, Jesus. We receive everything that your broken body and shed blood paid for us, Lord. We take this meal in faith. We examine ourselves. We are sorry for any wrong word, thought, or action. But we check ourselves, Lord. We take this meal in faith. By his stripes, we were healed. We speak life to our bodies. Every cell, tissue, fiber, muscle, organ, every system, our immune system, our digestive system, our, our central nervous system, we speak life. Our bones and joints, we speak life. Our lower back, we speak life. Our neck, we speak life. Our eyes, we speak life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I speak to the sinus. We speak life to the sinus in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. By your poverty, we are made rich. We are rich. We call every need met. Supernatural debt cancellation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our God supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We receive, Father. We receive every need met in the name of Jesus. We are healed, rich, protected, favored, blessed. Angels guarding us and keeping us in all our ways. No evil shall befall us. Thank you, Father. Our children are blessed. They're the seed of the righteous, the seed that the Lord has blessed. We bless them, Father. Thank you, Father. The favor of God working for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Favor in every situation, wherever we go, even with authority, government authority, ungodly people, every thought about us is a thought of favor. We receive wisdom, wisdom, wisdom for every situation, Lord. Wisdom in finances, in business, in relationship with children, in ministry. Wisdom, Lord. Christ has become for us wisdom. We receive wisdom liberally and without reproach. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We take this meal in faith, expecting right now, expecting the answers right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's eat and drink. Thank you, Father. We take it in faith, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. It is done. It is done. We believe we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I believe you understood this. This is very important. Somehow I sense the Lord leading me to teach on this today. And I believe it's the right time. And I believe I'm encouraging you to take this meal as often as required. Whatever problems you're going through, it doesn't matter. Take it in faith. Take it in faith. Believing. Hallelujah. You're blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.